Well, church family, would you please turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. This is the resurrected account of Matthew's gospel, a risen Jesus. And in this account, we're going to see Jesus' care for his disciples and Jesus' call to his disciples. That's important for you to understand because in the resurrection, Jesus cares for you. And he's called you to follow him. Covenant kids, as your parents permit, if you would draw a picture of an earthquake or what you would would, would think would be like to be in an earthquake, everything's shaking, it's scary. But in this account, we're going to read about an earthquake That was the most wonderful earthquake that ever happened. Because in this account, the earthquake was the arrival of a messenger from God. That the tomb was empty. Death has been destroyed. And that means because death has been destroyed, sin has been covered by the work of Jesus. Let's take a look at this passage in Matthew chapter 28. Please follow along as you are able. Now, after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said, Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Then go down to verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus, and Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? 
Gracious Heavenly Father, we do come before your word this morning. We rejoice in it. It points us to the great work that you've destroyed sin and death forever for your people. Would you direct our hearts and minds to grow in our understanding of this great work that we would continue to testify to your great love to a world that desperately needs to hear that death has been defeated. Lead us, we pray now, for we ask in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Well, a number of years ago, when Rebecca and I were living in St. Louis, uh, I received a call while at work from a very panicked wife. There are bees in the house. There are bees in the house. Come home quickly. The 45-minute drive home, I was thinking, only a few bees? Why am I being dragged home to take out a couple bees? But when I walked in, I found hundreds and hundreds of bees scattered throughout our living room and in our kitchen and in our dining room. They were everywhere. They weren't flying around. If you could describe the, 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 the state of these bees, it was like they were downtrodden, if bees could be downtrodden. They were like they were grieved. They were scattered, directionless. And what we would come to find later uh, as we tried to figure out what to do with these bees is that these bees were scattered because they had no home and no resources to defend. They had no fight in them because they had lost their leader, their queen bee, was gone. You could even take your hand in these bees and, and put them in and because they had no fight, they wouldn't sting you. You could graciously walk them out so that they could find, ultimately, a new leader. <laughs> it's a strange picture, I know, but these scattered bees, they needed someone greater than them to come and give them direction, purpose. They need someone to care for them. And while the Scriptures don't describe God's people as bees, the Scripture does describe God's people as sheep. And what Jesus said on the night that he was betrayed, is that when the good shepherd is struck, and the good shepherd will be struck, the sheep are going to scatter. They're going to be confused. They're going to be downtrodden. They're going to go in different ways, unsure what direction they should go, what to do next. They'd be afraid and grieved. And what we read in the Gospel of Matthew, is this is exactly what has happened to the disciples. They've left their homes to follow Jesus. They've left everything. And the celebrations of Palm Sunday that we celebrated last Sunday, they have now faded into the background. And the once confident and bold disciples who were indignant with each other for fighting over the positions of power left and right are now turned to grief as they've watched their king mocked, beaten, tortured, and crucified. Crucified in such a humiliating way that it was reserved for slaves or the worst of criminals. 
And Matthew records them hearing Jesus cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And they're now scattered. They have forgotten the mission that Jesus had come to complete, one that was to suffer, to die, and to rise from the dead. You see, at the beginning of this passage, these scattered disciples are everywhere. And two of them, two of the women who had observed from afar the the crucifixion of their Lord, as scattered followers, they come to this tomb. Do you notice how how Matthew records it? They don't come to find a risen Jesus. In the verse 1 of this text, they, they come to see the tomb. They're distraught. A mind that is racing with confusion and sorrow. Death seems to have won against the Holy One, the one whom they loved, they sought to follow. And see, Jesus knew these two women. He knew Mary, and he knew Mary. Mary Magdalene and Mary, as we read in the previous chapter, the mother of James and Joseph. He knew these two women. He knew they would come to the tomb. And so the Lord has sent a messenger. That's what angel means. He sent a messenger to them. This is an act of care from Jesus to his disciples. An act of care that they would see that when they approach the tomb, it's not barred with a stone. The great work of the world to prevent the mission of God to, to kill the Holy One and to bury him and to lay a stone so that he, no one could come see his dead body. He could not be stolen. And when the the, the uh, two women approach the tomb. Matthew gives us this active picture. It's behold, look, an angel r- comes down from heaven. He ex- looks like lightning. His appearance is as of lightning. He's clothed in white. He's not like the world. He's from heaven. He's, a dis- he's come on behalf of his Lord. And the earth quakes. And he rolls the stone away. You see, this is a message. There's two parts to this message. The first message to these two scattered disciples is that the grave is empty. The the tomb is empty. Jesus is not there. You see, the angel didn't, didn't act to raise Jesus from the dead. God raised Jesus from the dead. And he was already gone. And the tomb and the stone could not hold him. He wants them to see Look inside. In fact, when he comes and he appears, the terrifying nature of this, it it causes the person who they, they, they should be guarding the tomb, the ones to protect the tomb from being disturbed, they look like they're dead themselves. And the one who was dead is now alive and gone. He's resurrected to new life. And the angel tells them to look See, he's not here. And he tells them the message he has from the Lord. Don't be afraid. Don't fear what you're seeing and experiencing right now. Because you have work to do. Jesus, he cares for them and he calls them. Be the first witnesses that the tomb is empty. 
Go back to the other disciples. Go back and tell them Jesus is risen. The resurrection demonstrates that there's no power on earth, not even sin and death, that can stop the love and work of God. He's bringing a restoration and healing and life to the world. And he does this because he cares for the world. He cares for his disciples. He cares for you. In fact, it's not just this encounter that the disciples, these two women, experience that Matthew records. In fact, as they run, and they're running, note it, with a mixture of emotions, as was quite imaginable, they're running with fear and joy. They're confused. And what takes place? Look with me in the text. Jesus meets them. They don't run into Jesus. As Jesus approaches them, he, he meets with them. And, and, and as I'm trying to think through why Jesus would do this, what reasons would Jesus have, it's the, essentially the same message that he has that the angel had. Don't be afraid. He meets them because he loves them. He, he meets them because he knows they're still afraid. They're running in fear. And perhaps part of why he's meeting with them is because simply he cares for them. And he, he, he adds actually to the, the message two words. Go tell my brothers. Go tell that, that group that are locked away and scattered in fear, who are terrified and sorrowful and they're scared of persecution themselves. Go out and tell them my brothers, I'm risen. And I'm going to meet with them too. See, Jesus cares for his people. He cares in the resurrection. Many of us feel the weight of death in this world, the weight of sorrow and grief. Because we live in a confusing and sorrowful world we live in a world that's full of death. And just two weeks ago, as our hearts are still grieving, the news of what took place in Nashville Covenant Elementary School, terrifying acts of evil. This past week, there have been many funerals and prayer services for the families of those who were killed. And sadly, we know that this is not an isolated event. Uh, the work and world are full of painful violence. We're grieved by it. And, and when we dwell on it, it impacts our lives. Uh, we remember how fragile we are. We remember how violent the world is. It causes us to live in fear, a fear that disrupts life community, mission. It's a fear that causes us to triple check to make sure our front doors are locked at night. It's a fear that can cause us to keep a close eye on someone we don't recognize who might have a backpack. What's in it? It's a fear that leads us to be distrustful of those with power. It's a fear that causes us to want to numb ourselves so we turn to things like alcohol or we pour ourselves into our work 
or we spend far too many hours distracted on our cell phones in the very presence of the people that we love, or we binge watch hours of shows to distract ourselves from fear, which is a picture of death. You see, Jesus, he appears to these women. He's telling them not to be afraid. He's drawing them to trust him as their king, as their brother. Trust him that he has defeated the greatest of enemies, that he showed immeasurable care by being the king of glory who comes as the suffering servant, who's exposed and displayed the fullness of the injustice and cruelty of the world on the cross to bear the fullness of sin so that we would be forgiven and loved, so that the power of death would not linger in his people, but that we would look to him, the first fruit of a new creation, to have new life and a way of living that's apart and away from fear. You see, our hope is that Jesus has come into the world to address the wickedness that would seek to take the life of a nine-year-old child and that one day he will put an end fully to sin and death forever because in the resurrection, that is the final word against death. Many years ago, I was invited to a funeral of a person who completely rejected the resurrection. And he was a a part of a group that rejected the resurrection. And as I sat and listened, the person officiating this funeral, he, he got to a point in the service when he would say, where there was once light, there's now only darkness. Once when there was joy and laughter, there's now only silence. Once when there was life, now there is only death. The most depressing experience I've ever been at. But it is the world without the resurrection. It is the world without Jesus. It is the end for everyone who does not come and trust and put their hope in him and his resurrection. On his deathbed, a Puritan pastor, John Owen, he was writing a letter. He was having it dictated because he himself could not write it because he was too weak. He was having a letter dictated to a friend. He said, I am yet in the land of the living. And immediately he caught himself and said, Strike that out. Stop. I am yet in the land of the dying, but I hope soon to be in the land of the living. This is what our hope is. And this is the care of Jesus who comes to defeat death forever. And he calls us to proclaim this to a world full of death that lives in death. Now look down at verse 16 because these women have obeyed faithfully. They've told the disciples and we're told in verse 16 that they have also encountered Jesus. The 11, they go and they obey. They go to Galilee. Exactly where Jesus directs them. 
But when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. That phrase is an interesting phrase. Some doubted. Some, in, in, in the way that it's written in Matthew, could actually mean an encompassing picture of all the disciples. And, and doubted, it's not just a doubt of I don't believe. It's the hesitation. The hesitation to embrace everything that they're seeing. It's like they they thought Jesus' kingdom was going to come with power in such a way that it would topple governments. And now they see the greater power and they're realizing it has come by his death. And it's going to come by their deaths. And it's not that they doubt Jesus. They worship him. But they hesitate. They're not sure how to follow him. Isn't this the world that we live in? A world in which we know Jesus is Lord. We want to worship him. We want to listen to him. But we hesitate sometimes to follow him. Because we know following means our death. It means laying down our lives. It means going to places that are dangerous and scary to tell people the good news that death has been destroyed. You see, Jesus, he knows this. And in verse 18, it actually, the way Matthew says it, he actually cares for them in this as well too. If you look in verse 18, the very first phrase, it doesn't say Jesus just said to them. It actually says he drew near. near. Jesus came and he said to them, He's, he's drawing near. He's, he's aware of their hesitations. But he's comforting them. He's caring for them. He's leading them to understand that they've got a calling. They have been prepared and set aside to go out into the world to declare the, the beauty and the glory of the resurrection. To make disciples. And, and, and he, he calms them by telling them that he has all authority in heaven and on earth, everywhere. There is not any authority that does not submit to Jesus in heaven and on earth. This gives us confidence, not just in his authority, but in his love. And he's calling us to follow him. That even when we see the powers work in this world, we know they have no power over Jesus. And they ultimately have no power over his people. And the central central focus of these next two verses, the call that Jesus has, is that his people would make disciples. That's what's actually in view in the Great Commission There's a lot of other verbs, participles that are are dependent upon that. But the key focus that Jesus is saying is make disciples. Go out and, and make people understand. Help them know that the resurrection is their hope too. That I love the world and came and died for you so that you would point others to me and the care that I have for them. He's calling them to make disciples so that they would have life in him. And he says these three things that are in connection. How do we do this? Well, we we go. And and Jesus is saying in go that we would go everywhere to the nations. Sometimes we view that as a missions movement, and it is. It is to go out to all nations. But it also is to realize that 
right here, right now, you are in a nation. You are Jesus' servant, follower, disciple to show the world around you who he is. Your family, your neighbors, the sinners that you encounter. Just as we've been reading over these last few weeks, Jesus is calling you to share the gospel and to live out the resurrection with everyone that you encounter. That your life would be different and that people would see that difference in the light of who he is. That we would testify to his grace and his faithful love. And he says, you are to baptize others. And and this is a, a public profession of faith, of identifying with the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is a, a, a belonging. We are declaring that those who are disciples declare they belong to the Lord. And that we would teach. Teach what? Teach all that he's commanded. Teach the love that he's brought. The words that have called us to life in him. It's all authority that Jesus has to all people to bring about all that he has said and taught in their hearts and lives. The Lord's call is to go. And he calls us to go because he cares. Because we know he's risen. Because we trust that in him we too will rise from the dead. And we want others to know that there is hope for them in Christ. You know, this kind of call, it only takes place when we see something greater than us has called us to live differently now. We look to the resurrected Jesus. We trust in the resurrected Jesus. And that is what keeps us focused on going. It's kind of like if those of you who are are, are going through a diet or, or exercise to maintain your health. If you don't believe your, your body will get better, if you don't believe that there's a, a healthier version of you, you will not die, diet or exercise at all. But the future hope of being a certain way gives you strength to endure the cost of focusing on a different kind of life today. The hope of the resurrection is what we hold fast, that we trust, so that we may walk presently differently. Because if I have new life in Jesus, I can let go of my life here today. I can give myself for those who need to hear him. I can share my resources with those who are hurting and needy. I can tell those who are discouraged and feeling defeated that there is hope for them in a God who will one day wipe every tear from their eyes. Jesus has defeated sin and death. He reigns over all things. This is our hope. And this is what we are sent to proclaim. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, where you lead, your church will follow. We thank you for the great salvation that you've given to us, that you make all things new, and that you will wipe away the tears from our eyes. May we not be scattered, but may we look to the resurrection from the dead, the life of the world to come, so that we would be unshaken in our following and pursuit of you. Even when we suffer, even when we're confronted with death, we, we seek to love and follow you. Help us to proclaim the gospel to ourselves and to one another. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.